Hey everyone, you're listening to Supporting IT Support, a Tab Geeks podcast. My name is Jesse Nolan. I am your host and the co-founder of Tab Geeks. My guest today is Steve Larson. He is a self-proclaimed Google evangelist and the CIO at a stealth startup Chaser. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Hey Jesse, thanks for having me. My pleasure. And uh, Steve is one of the wonderful resources in the Google Cloud community. And uh, we're going to jump into that in a little bit. But first, everybody knows I like to start with my favorite part of the podcast. Take us back to the beginning, Steve. How did you get into tech? So um, it probably, you know, it started when I was quite young. Um, You know, I was involved with computers um, since the, the day that my dad received a Tandy 8088 computer for his 25th anniversary at, uh, at Harris Bank here in Chicago. And that's kind of where things all started off uh, from was, um, you know, reading those computer manuals, uh, playing games, you know, working with DOS and uh, just getting, you know, really interested in technology at the time. And that was also kind of around the time of, you know, when the internet was just starting to become somewhat you know, mainstream, uh, well, be- becoming more, fam- you know, more common in households. It definitely wasn't everywhere at that time. I mean, I remember, you know, signing up for the AOL uh, internet floppy disks and prodigy connections and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the the, the modem sounds connecting into the internet. And that was kind of the beginning of, of when I got uh, into technology. And it's just been an evolution ever since uh, since then. I love hearing these stories, and it's so amazing how many of them start off with, well, my father or my mother brought home the X, Y, and Z, and the rest is basically history from there. Yeah, and I think probably another key thing that kind of kept me into computers was my my parents, mostly my mom, would not allow me to have any computer, uh, not computer, but uh, game consoles, you know, like Nintendo or um, Sega, anything like that. So there was, so any games that I wanted to play, if I wanted to play them had to be on a computer for some reason, computers were okay to have and play on there, but, uh, game consoles weren't. So that kind of, uh, forced me into that where maybe some other people were, uh, kind of more into games and gaming consoles at the time. But for me, it was computers. And, uh, you know, back then, of course it was big with Microsoft. So I was, um, you know, looking at, Microsoft certification back in the day. So reading those massive, uh, you know, thousand page manuals of becoming a Microsoft uh, certified professional and uh, reading those instead of reading the books that I should have been reading for my English classes in high school, for example. <laughs> nice. So how old were you when your dad brought home that computer? I would say probably seven or eight or something like that. So this was going to, this is the late, um, late eighties. So you're probably around, you know, 89, uh, 90, uh, around that time. Love it. And then you spent all those years reading those brutal manuals. And, uh, would you say that was your start of your IT career? Were you, uh, doing consulting or, or fixing people's computers at that point? Or was it still just because it was there and fascinating at the time? I, yeah, I think as soon as I was able to, you know, get a little bit older, I started building my own PCs, my own computers, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I think we, we obviously bought a couple of computers. I think one of our, the first ones that we bought was a, was a gateway computer. Um, but then I think the first computer that I put together was a, it was an Intel uh, 386 uh, based machine. And I would go to computer shows, you know, you could, you would go to computer shows and buy parts. And um, that, you know, that was kind of my, childhood was, you know, going to those events and uh, looking at computer stuff and 
buying sound cards and video cards and cases and things like that. Um, you know, it wasn't shopping online for the best deal. It was waiting for the uh, computer conference to show up in your town and your city and go to all the vendors that are showing up there together in one place uh, to get the best equipment at, the, at that time. Um, and I think as, as I got a little bit older, I was, you know, gravitating a little bit more towards the kind of server and infrastructure and networking part of computing. Uh, so I think as I was finishing up high school, I got my first, or it might've been my first year of university or just so just around that time is, is when I went and got my network plus certification. And, um, that was kind of my first cert, uh, that I started with. So you mentioned that you started university, you're already getting your certs in IT. Did you go to school for uh, computers, computer science, IT, something along those lines? I, I did. I mean, I was, I was attempting to. I um, you know, <laughs> graduated high school. I you know, got enrolled in a you know, pretty prestigious uh, technology university in Terre Haute, Indiana called uh, Rose Hellman Institute of Technology. And I spent a couple semesters there they're on trimester. So I actually just spent two semesters there. Uh, so not even a full year. And uh, I was computer science and engineering was the degree that I was kind of going towards. And the university um, structure, I think just wasn't very well aligned with uh, the way that I like to work. So I, I left university, went, um, went back home, found a job, um, was working I was working down at Merrill Lynch on the CBOT here in Chicago, the Chicago Board of Trade. That was probably one of the most exciting jobs that I had. And, um, you know, after spending a little bit of time there, about a year and a half, I, I figured I'd give school a try again. Um, went back to school for another, let's say, year or so. I think it was about that. And again, just because it kind of wasn't for me. So I, um, I moved into the city, moved back uh, downtown in Chicago and, um, so, you know, started looking for a job there. One of my, uh, and this is kind of a common theme for, for me, at least in my career was, um, a lot of the jobs that I got were through people that I knew. So the job at Merrill Lynch, for example, was through my uncle who was roommates with the guy that ran the trading floor. Um, so that's kind of how I got that job. The job that I got in Chicago was through my dad and people he worked with, where actually in my summers in high school is kind of what I, that's how I spent my summers also was working with my dad and at his company, repairing computers and working on computers. So from people that I knew there, you know, 10 years before, um, they knew someone, you know, in the city in Chicago that was working at a computer company and they got me that job. That's actually the job that I've, you know, worked at the longest. It was about three and a half years. That's the longest I've been at any one job. <laughs> um, and after that three and a half years, I, um, actually moved to London. So kind of an interesting story of, of how I, how I ended up going to London was that I was living in the city with, you know, a few friends, um, well, friends that I met, actually, I, I didn't even know them. It was, uh, people that I'd met through Craigslist, you know, you're looking for a room just in the city. You don't really know anyone. That's kind of how you, you met people then was uh, Craigslist listings of people looking for, for roommates. And uh, <laughs> one of the guys uh, was turning 30. He wanted to go to London. He wanted to go to, to France and um, you know, I figured I'd go with him. I had actually done that trip 
10 years before when I was 15 for my high school, uh, actually not even high school, it was elementary school. It was my eighth grade uh, friends trip. We did, we did a trip very similar to that, almost identical, in fact. It was um, London, flying to London, and then go to Paris. And then um, I think when I was younger, we went to Normandy because it was like the, the 50th anniversary, or anniversary of the Normandy invasion. This time, 10 years later, we went down to the south of France and kind of went to the beach and you know relaxed and had some more fun uh, down there. But that was you know, reminding me of what that trip 10 years ago made me think of, which was one day I want to move over here and live here because that's just kind of the feeling I had you know, being over there. So now that I'm a little bit older, I think I'm around 25, something like that, um, the likelihood of that happening was obviously a little bit greater, right? So I looked into how can I move to London? How can I get a job over here in Europe? You know, how can I, you know, move away from home and uh, figure something else out? And and I was, you know, not just looking around Europe, I was looking around Asia. You know, maybe I wanted to, to teach English in China or something like that. And it wasn't that easy if you didn't have a visa, right? So, you know, you had to get sponsored and those kind of things. And it was just month after month trying to figure out ways and it was proving more and more difficult. And, and then one day I was looking through, um, kind of some of the, 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 well, it was specifically, it was the British nationality act of 1981. And somehow I stumbled across it six months after I'd been searching. Now, the reason why I stumbled across that was because my mother was born in Scotland and, you know, I had, I had heard about, um, you know, grandparents in Ireland being able to pass on citizenship to their to their grandkids, things like that. And in the initial research I had, for some reason, not for I mean, I don't know for for whatever reason, right? A British father could only pass along um, nationality to their son if their son was born overseas. So my mom was born in Scotland. I was born in the U.S. And from everything that I read the mother could not pass on that citizenship. And you think about that and you're like, well, that's kind of silly, right? Because how can you prove um, someone was born to a father very easily? You can't really, right? It's pretty <laughs> easy to know that you came from your mother, right? And, and I know, you know, you being uh, Jesse from Israel probably know that quite well, that in Israel is kind of the opposite way, right? That lineage is, lineage kind of falls under the, the female, right? Which is- Yeah, they don't really care sense. about the father's side. Right. Yeah. So it makes a lot more sense. Right. Um, so I found that really interesting that that's the way it was up until this, um, this change in law. And, um, once I found that I then kind of applied, I, I because I was born in 81, I had to kind of do a two-step process where I had to apply as a British citizen born overseas do the whole, you know, official swearing in process. I did that here in Chicago at the British consulate when it was still here in Chicago at the Wrigley building for anyone that knows Chicago well. And, um, once I had that, I applied for my passport and, um, and then I bought a one-way ticket to Dublin and three nights in a hostel. And that was my plan pretty much. I, uh, didn't have a job. I, uh, I didn't know really where I was going after that other than, you know, I had relatives and some friends that I met, um, that I knew lived over in the UK. And, you know, I wanted to travel and I wanted to find a job and those kind of things, but I didn't really have any concrete plans. And, um, and that kind of continued for a whole year. I didn't really have any plans for a whole year. I just kept traveling. I, um, I went to 
the, the French Alps for a couple of months in the winter season to work in a chalet there for kind of two and a half months and then picked up traveling again kind of February and traveled until September. So I pretty much uh, did almost a, a year, September of 2006 to September 07, almost exactly. Um, just traveling around Europe and uh, a little bit of Morocco as well. So that was a pretty exciting time and spent that whole year traveling by couchsurfing. So I didn't really um, know anyone who I was staying with. I kind of just met them, you know, a few weeks before I showed up at their house and uh, met people along the way that I traveled with. Um, so I was kind of traveling on my own, but I was always traveling with someone because I was always meeting people. And I would meet some people in one town and we'd kind of split part ways. And, uh, and then we kind of went this one group. Uh, we, I met up with them in, in Morocco and we spent, you know, three and a half weeks in Morocco. We went back to the south of Spain. Uh, we kind of randomly just showed up in Sevilla on a Wednesday evening when Sevilla was playing the, um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it was the Champions League match, but it was one of the championships there. And they ended up winning and it turned, you know, our, our one day trip in Sevilla turned into like a four day trip because of the celebrations and stuff like that. And a lot of stories like that in that year of traveling that happened. And it was a really exciting time. Um, and, and then after that, you know, I ran on after that year, ran out of funds and had to find a job. And I spent my last week of travels in Athens job hunting for uh, work in London and that's kind of kind of how things ended up in London, where I spent eleven years uh, living there, uh, and that's kind of where you know my career kind of started. I guess you could say is um, is when I got the my first job there in London, and um, ever since it's been you know very IT focused, uh, kind of evolving from general technology work that I was doing at, my, at the first company. It was actually an e-commerce company, and um, moving more into like a, a general IT role and then um, being a little bit more focused uh, on Google, you know, so that's kind of where things are at now, uh, where I've spent a lot of time focusing on Google as a um, specific tech, um, you know, knowledge focus for me. It's a fascinating story and all that couch surfing. Why didn't you invent Airbnb? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would have been nice. Right. Um, I, I think I would have been, uh, yeah, a bit better off than I am now if I had done that. <laughs> you and me both combined. So you started, um, you mentioned when you when you got this uh, first job, first big break in London after, after all of those amazing travels. Um, where did the focus on Google come in? Google was still a relatively young-ish company at that time. What was the landscape there? What was going on that drew you into it? Yeah, so I think, you know, I had a couple roles that were... Um, you know, general technology roles, and then one company that I was at was a was a video advertising monetization uh, platform. It was called it was a an MCN, a multi channel network for YouTube. So we were you know managing uh, YouTube channels for companies, and that's where the um, the kind of the IT role started, uh, the IT focused role started, and. Part of that was, you know, of course, our company was on Google, and uh, at the time, I think it was probably called Google Apps. Um, that was Google Apps for work, or just regular Google Apps. Google Apps for, uh, just, I think, yeah, I, I, I don't know the exact uh, naming timeline, but uh, it was. Well, yeah, they keep Google changing Apps, the name on us so many times. <laughs> <Me> too. <laughs> yep. 
uh, yeah, I think it, it started off at the very beginning was uh, Google, uh, like Google domains or Google for your business or something like that. I can't remember what it was initially called, but really all it was is that you had this domain and inbox for your, uh, for your company. That was it. There was no Google Docs, no Google Drive, nothing. It was just email with your domain. That was pretty much it. I still have one of the originals on my personal domain. I refuse to let it go. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a few legacy, a few legacy accounts myself, you know, grandfathered in accounts here, 50 there. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I mistakenly upgraded one of them and forgot to downgrade it. And, uh, oh. kind of lost. Yeah. Back in the old days when you could just say, when you could just say, Hey Google, I need 10,000 accounts for this. And they would just give it to right. you. I actually did that one time and I let that account go like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're, they're kind of useful now, but uh, they restricted them so much that they are less and less useful, but it's still good to have for personal use, you know? Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so that that company there was where I got involved. And, you know, we were on Google Apps. We were, uh, you know, maybe not using it as much as we could have. We had, a, you know, we acquired a company, a couple companies. So we had to migrate uh, their environments over into ours. And, you know, even today, it's still really challenging to actually move, uh, you know, a Google company from one platform and merge it into another. So we, oh, I went through quite a few of those, uh, you know, mergers and acquisitions, uh, both from the kind of the technical side of things, as well as the business side and, you know, working with different teams, uh, bring them together. Yeah, those and, early mi- migrations were very MacGyver-like. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, for I don't know how it started, but I... I you know, was involved in some of the early adopter programs for the Google Meet hardware. So the um, kind of the old Samsung equipment that they sent out, they sent a few of those units to us. And then someone else from Google contacted me to be involved in a, a thought leaders group. And they selected seven customers from around Europe. There were some that flew in from Egypt and uh, other France and a few other countries. And we met up in London and we presented we presented our company's story about how we were using Google, you know, how it helped us as a company work and also the things that didn't work well for us. And so I put together a presentation uh, to present to a lot of Google product managers, Google engineers. There were people from the U.S. that flew in uh, for that event. There were people that were dialed in remotely uh, watching. And it was a really exciting kind of weekend. It was like a two-day thing. Um they put me up into a, in a hotel there in London. Even though I live there, I still get a hotel. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Um, and, and that's kind of how I got really closely involved with Google. So once that happened, uh, the woman who was the sponsor of that later emailed me and said, hey, we're building out this new community for you know Google admins. It was the Cloud Connect community. And you know, we need some people to test it. Would, you know, do you want to help us out? And I said, of course. So I was involved in, um, you know, being kind of one of the first members of that community. I remember the account that I have actually, you know, each, each account has an ID and my ID was actually the lowest account on the platform, even lower than the Googlers that were on there, which was kind of funny. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's, um, you know, that's evolved into another community now that is, you know, run on a different platform and that's actually soon moving on to an, a new platform, which I'm now involved in helping shape and build and design uh, prior to its launch. So that's going to be, um, you know, something uh, to look forward to for any people around Google 
the, the Cloud Connect community that is on uh, is out there now is going to be changing. So stay tuned for changes on that. Awesome. Looking forward to that. And uh, I think it was you and I first connected, whether we knew it or not at the time at, uh, what was it, the 2000, uh, 2016 Google Apps for Work meetup in Mountain View? Yes. Or Sunnyvale, right. rather. Yeah. Sunnyvale. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Those tiny little 400-person conferences that somehow I merited an invite. Yeah, that was the last uh, the last one that they ran prior to Next being a combined event for cloud as well as G Suite. Yeah, yeah, and I, I still maintain that Google or G Suite, which is now called Google Workspace, needs its own conference. You know, there were 43 sessions at the 2018 uh, Google Cloud Next and 2019. I'm not sure because I wasn't there. Um, my wife was having a baby at the time instead. So obviously I stayed home for that. And then uh, there were countless uh, sessions on specifically G Suite um, at the at the virtual one. It was a whole week of it. We can have our own conference already. Stop bulking us in with the Google Cloud people. <laughs> no offense to the Google Cloud people. It's just so much. I, I end up missing by trying to attend, you know, multiple sessions from different areas of the product and and missing out on the rest of the conference. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely come a long way um, in terms of sessions and events and uh, popularity. So uh, I think you could definitely have two separate events for it now, given the number of attendees and the number of sessions that you want to attend and can't attend. I think they've, you know, if they can, if 2019 was the, the, you know, I went to the next session, to the next event out there, um, you know, when I was working at a, at a Google partner here in Chicago, and that was a pretty uh, fun event. I'd, I'd gone to the one in London uh, before that, and uh, I think, you know, now this year they did everything virtually. So I think if you can, if they can start to combine the you know, the sessions that they, the events that they do live with virtual ones and have those available to, for people, you know, after the, the, the conferences that can definitely help if they kind of have to continue to run the, these events uh, at the same time. But, um, you know, you definitely benefit a lot by being, being there in person, being able to meet people, talk to people. You don't get nearly the same sort of connections that you do during doing these, uh, conferences virtually. I agree wholeheartedly. Not only that, my attention is split. If I'm on site and I'm sitting in a room, yeah, I can be on my laptop. But if I'm at work or at the moment in my home office with my workstation, I'm doing other work for sure while I'm watching the session. Yeah, it's definitely good to have those sessions recorded so you can go back to them afterwards if you, you know, miss something, if you were there live or if, you know, you want to look at them. Yeah, but I always say I'm going to do that and that I never do. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's don't get me wrong. I agree with you. It's great to have that as a reference, but it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I missed that because I had to take a phone call. I'll go back and listen to it. No, <laughs> doesn't happen. Well, I do hope that we get back to uh, real in-person conferences. I actually started Tab Geeks. The initial idea uh, a couple of years ago when we started this was to be a Google specific conference. And uh, that was simply because of my frustration with the um, Google apps for uh, Google apps for work, or, or I think they had already changed it to G Suite when they were doing the, the meetups. 
with just that small 400 person conference, I'm like, there's thousands of people online that want to go to these things. Why don't we just create a conference for that? And then the idea kind of expanded into, well, you know, there's a lot more that people are looking for than just Google stuff. And that's why we became uh, an IT conference uh, instead. Uh, and uh, obviously, that's kind of been a holding pattern now, thanks to COVID. But hopefully, I'm very much looking forward to the day when we can get back to doing real in-person events. Yeah, and somewhere in between that, that, uh, that meetup in California that we were at at the same time and when you started Tab Geeks and everything, uh, that's kind of how we connected uh, a little bit more closely was um, kind of, for, I think, from that conference, you know, I wanted to attend or talk at that and never, never ended up happening. But, um, you know, since then, we've been finding ourselves in, you know, these IT tech communities together. Uh, between the Mac admins community, Better Cloud, your Tab Geeks, uh, we've got the C to C, you know, community that Google uh, released this year as well, which I think you're also getting uh, very involved with, right? You've got a session coming up December fifteenth, isn't it? Uh, yep. For that. Yeah, and hopefully I get this podcast edited and released before then. But uh, I'll be hosting the recap of Javier Saltero's session, uh, talking about uh, what's all the new changes that are going on in Google Workspace. And I think they're having uh, one in between as well with uh, somebody from the office of the CTO over at Google. So I'll be hosting kind of the yeah. recap and discussion and talking wow. about that. Um, so yep. that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Now the speaker for that event in, in between. Now if you if you remember. Back in California, there when we were at that event, uh, mm -hmm. the speaker is is Diane uh, Shaleff, I think is how I pronounce her name. So Diane used to be the product manager for Google Drive, and she was the main product manager releasing uh, shared drives. Oh, I thought that name seemed familiar. Yes, yeah. So she has been you know with Google for quite a while, and um, it's actually a kind of funny story um, that that conference. Um, you know, in California there, when she was doing her talk, she was talking about shared drives and she was doing a live demo on stage out in that tent, you know, that white tent that was near the train station there. Yep. Um, and, you know, when she went uh, to her live demo, you know, she went to drive.google.com forward slash scary. And that gave her access to this like really cool, dashboard of, you know, internal tools and, you know, just things you would never imagine seeing on Google Drive. And that apparently is something that Googlers have access to. If, like if they go there today, I mean, the last time I asked someone to check that they worked at Google, it was still working for them. So uh, it's like a special URL at Google that you can go to if you're a Googler and get access to these like dev tools and insights into who the product manager is for certain uh, new features and all this kind of cool stuff. And I had my laptop there in the tent and I went to it and I had access to it as well. I was like, okay, this is interesting. Cool. Why do I have access to all this? <laughs> Turns out they didn't segment their Wi-Fi network at the conference um, to say oh. it's an external network. So anyone that wanted to go to that URL in that conference could have ac could access those tools because a few hours later, when I went to one of the sessions in the building, I couldn't access it anymore. And I went back out to the tent and I'm like, oh, I can access it now. So that was a little uh, forgetful network config there by whoever was managing their uh, their Wi-Fi and network for that uh, for that meetup. There you have it, folks. Even even the giants in tech make mistakes sometimes. Tell that story next time something goes terribly wrong. <laughs>
I love hearing all of these like behind the curtain, behind the scenes, uh, early days of, uh, of, you know, Google Workspace or G Suite or even Google Apps for Work uh, at the time. And, and it's really it's come a long way. Um, but you've also been very big on the Google Cloud side of things. Where did your experience for that come from? Yeah, so cloud was kind of a transition from AWS. I was, uh, you know, the, most companies at the time, this was, um, you know, not too long ago. This was only, I don't know, let's say it was maybe six, six, seven years ago. You know, most companies run AWS. Mm-hmm. And I was managing the infrastructure for the, my company. We had, you know, we weren't a very large uh, environment, but it was maybe, you know, 50 to 150 servers on AWS, you know, virtual machines. Um, I was working with, uh, you know, our DevOps team and our CFO uh, to like do cost management and uh, understand, you know, dedicated VMs, reserved instances is what AWS calls it. And um, so I was, you know, not only involved in the, kind of the internal uh, IT business operations, but also on the infrastructure side. So once I spent some time on AWS, you know, I was a little bit, you know, Google Cloud Platform came out and it was interesting, you know, it was new. So I spent some time on it for a little while and the interface was obviously new and it was a little clunky and I wasn't quite familiar with it. So I kind of gave up <laughs> and and then I, um, I came back to it for, for whatever reason, I'm not sure where I was at, what I was doing, what company I was at, but um, you know, I started to use it more, and I started to see some of the the ease of use in terms of, you know, you can just go to your browser, you can you can access this like virtual machine from anywhere, uh, which is what they call Cloud Shell, and I can essentially get access to infrastructure through my Google Workspace account, you know, Google G Suite account at the time. And I don't have to like sign up to another service. I can just kind of go there and turn on these servers and do this stuff. And it was just a really seamless, easy transition for companies that were, you know, on G Suite. And that's kind of where I ended up working. I was working always at a company that was on Google. So that got me more involved with the, the cloud side of things. Um, and, you know, I'd always been playing around with servers and infrastructure on my own and, you know, VMs and, uh, you know, whatever kind of interesting uh, kind of little tools are out there, you know, like a pie hole server, things like that. And uh, you know, Plex servers, those kind of things. And uh, I was always kind of interested in, in uh, infrastructure and networking, like I said. So yeah, it's definitely a combination of both the workspace as well as cloud and, you know, been cloud architect certified for the last two years, which just expired. So I got to renew my certification on that. Uh, so that's going to be uh, fun. That wasn't uh, wasn't an easy one to to get. I'm sure it'll be a little bit easier now. Hopefully, with a little bit more experience. But um, yeah, uh, and then also, you know, not just on the cloud side in general, but also did a lot of you know work on documentation uh, with with Google, and that was kind of going back to you know when I was doing those migrations for. That first company, you know, we were acquiring companies on other Google platforms. We were trying to merge domains together, and it was, you know, it wasn't like you said, it wasn't that straightforward. It wasn't that easy. It was really clunky, and you had to kind of go through a pretty detailed process to make sure things migrated correctly. And you know, sometimes you couldn't, you know, transfer files. You had to copy them. Those kind of things. So I started to write down that documentation for it, and I had that for the company I was working at. 
and I kind of needed it the next company I, I went to. So I still kind of had the, um, the, the, the source file that I had wrote to the previous company. And then the Cloud Connect community also had a lot of good resource information there. And the Cloud Connect community had these, they had a few of these documents that were, um, they were kind of like compliments to the Google support pages. So Google support has come a long way. The, the, the pages are a lot better than they used to be. Um, but what, what, what we found or what I found in the, in the Cloud Connect community were these notes from the field documents. And these were documents that were, I think they were written by the PSO team. So PSO is the professional services organization at Google. And they would be, um, you know, written for larger organizations that were doing migrations or deployments or whatever it was. And the first document that uh, that I ended up finding and finding really useful was the security incident and response planning document, notes from the field document. And I, you know, kind of made a copy of that, and I wanted to kind of make sure that I had my own version of it uh, in case you know Google decided to delete it or something like that. And, <laughs> Smart. Uh, yeah, and it's it, you know I think the source document is still there. I think I still it's still accessible to anyone that wants to get to get it, but it hasn't been updated in four or five years. And and that was kind of you know my idea was that this doc is probably not going to continue to be updated, but it's a great resource. So I'll make a copy of it and I will try to keep it updated and improve it. And I thought, well, there's probably other people that could benefit from this information, so why not share it with them? And I did. You know, I started to share it in some of the communities. Uh, on um, Cloud Connect and you know other the the Slack communities eventually, and in between the time of copying that that first one, you know more and more things I kind of found very useful. Uh, you know how to do certain things with Google Drive that you couldn't do um, from the help articles. So when someone says, "Hey, I want to," you know transfer this file from company A to company B, everyone says, well, you got to copy it and you lose the version history and all the edits and all that stuff. And it's not a, you know, very nice transition. And there's, you know, there's gotta be a better way, right? So there is. And I think, you know, I think I, I saw it today, actually, I went uh, looking through your, your blog and you've got a document or a blog post that talks about, you know, how do you transfer a drive file from one organization to another? And you do that through the shared drives, right? You move it. Uh, into a shared drive that's owned by the company you want to move it to. And then you go into the other company and then you drag it into either, um, you know, your my drive area or keep it in that shared drive. And that's kind of how you change ownership of a file across domains. Um, that has been a very popular post. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I saw the number of comments on there. It was pretty, it was a lot. Um, but I, I know the the document that I wrote about it too. And, you know, I, I started posting it a lot of places. It, it definitely, was a surprise to many people because you call up Google and say, how do I do this? And they say, well, you can't. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so there's definitely, there's definitely a lot of things at Google that you can do that they will tell you you can't do. So that was kind of the, you know, the premise for these documents is to create them uh, to inform people of, you know, ways to work with the, you know, the tools that Google gives you, but do it in a way that they don't tell you you can do it, you know? So uh, that kind of evolved into, it's about 30, 30, 40 documents right now. Wow. And, and that's part of, those are mostly documents that I've created and some that are, you know, copies of uh, the ones that Google had created and, you know, I've improved and kind of continued to keep up to date. And then another couple of folders of documents that I've 
curated. So again, kind of documents that you find through the communities and you, know, you never know where to look to find them. So I kind of started to collect them all into one place and they're all shared within, you know, one main Google Drive folder of, uh, you know, it's now Google Workspace admin community documents. Uh, so if anyone's interested in that, um, you know, kind of reach out to reach out to Jesse or me and uh, I can give you access to that. But it's a, yeah, a big group of documents that are mostly editable by the community. So if you want to put in your own experience and improve it, um, that's definitely, you know, going to benefit everyone else. Um, but uh, I definitely have spent a lot of time uh, creating those and maintaining those over the years. Yeah. If you've got a link to that, I can drop it into the, uh, into the show notes. Yeah, definitely share that with you. Awesome. And uh, now let's continue talking about documentation, which normally is a super boring topic, but we all suck at it. I speak personally. This is so hard for me. I've seen your documentation. I've seen the amount of time and effort and energy that goes into creating these documents. How do you do it? Yeah, it's definitely not that easy because, you know, I think it, it, it is, it's easy to think about it and to conceptualize it, but then, you know, once you start writing it and you want to make sure that you include everything in there, you start to think about, well, if you do this, then this could happen. And then you have to account for that. And you're trying to create it in a way that someone can, you know, understand it and follow it. So it definitely takes, you know, it takes a good amount of time to, to create those uh, in a way that, are you know translatable to someone else who's coming into it, uh, maybe not familiar with the background of, of why it was created or um, you know what it could be there for. So it uh, it's just it's a lot of testing. It's a lot of making sure that you know what you're putting in there is is correct. And you know I think a lot of um, a lot of it is pretty accurate. But of course there are some things in there that you know you forget, and that's one of the, the you know the reasons why I have it open for anyone to comment and edit on it, because, you know, there are, there are other viewpoints of the documentation of how this could benefit someone else or how it would work, work better uh, if it was done this way. So you'll see in some of them, there's a lot of comments from other people that um, have voiced those concerns. And, you know, we've have made those changes or those people have made those changes directly. Uh, and that's, you know, that's also helped out a lot too, to make those um, more digestible for, for the masses. Amazing. And uh, for the, the, to wrap it all up here towards the end, um, I know that you're also a huge whiskey fan. Is that thanks to your Scottish heritage or was that born of something else? Uh, I, you know what? I, it could have some links to that. I mean, I, it wasn't a huge thing growing up as a kid. Uh, my grandfather was more into beer. It was more of a beer drinker than whiskey. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it happened when I was living in London. So it had happened when I was over there. Um, you know, I was working uh, in the city in Covent Garden and it actually started with tequila uh, before it was whiskey. So there was a tequila bar where, where we worked and started going to that. And enjoy, I started you know, drinking tequila like you would like wine in terms of a wine tasting. And then, you know, we wanted to run a social event for the company and tried to find, you know, something like, I think, I think I first looked at the tequila bar and they just, they didn't do um, private events. So I was like, okay, well, what else can we do other than tequila? And a few of the guys said, well, let's do whiskey. And um, there was a, there was a 
whiskey bar not too far from us in Covent Garden called the Soho Whiskey Club. And it was a private members club. And I walked in and kind of talked to the guy behind the counter there. And uh, he said, yeah, we can, we can, you know, we can do a private event for you, but you know, is any, or is anyone that's coming a member? And I said, no, do we have to be a member? And he said, well, yeah, I mean, you kind of, you kind of do. So um, we can do it if you want to, you know, become, if one of you wants to join and become a member. So I figured, all right, well, I'll become a member. And we ran the tasting uh, for the, for the company there. And then, you know, I had this membership now at the, at this, uh, this whiskey club that I had to take advantage of. So you would get invited. You wouldn't get invited. You would, you know, it was a pretty good deal. You know, it was 250 pounds for the entire year. And you wouldn't get in what you would get invited to all of these whiskey tastings throughout the year from all the different distilleries and the brands. And it would be included in your, your membership. Awesome. So I started going to a few of them and I started going to, to more of them. And I started going to more of the bar, not when there were events and uh, just enjoying whiskey a lot. Um, over the years. So it has definitely grown and evolved. And, uh, you know, I had a pretty decent sized collection. When I was living in London. Um, and I have an even, you know, bigger one now. Um, mostly Isla is kind of my preference. So that's the, you know, the smoky PD whiskeys, uh, the Lagavulins, the Froigs, Ardbegs, those kind of, uh, the whiskeys. And, I never actually visited a distillery in the 11 years that I lived in London. But just this last year in February, I flew back and uh, did a did a tour around Isla uh, and went to six of the nine distilleries out there. And I've got to say, it's one of the it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. It was a pretty amazing trip. Anyone that is, um, even if you're not into whiskey, actually, it's just a really great experience of uh, meeting people on that island there. And, you know, you, you don't really have to drink whiskey to really benefit from, you know, the kind of the, the openness and kindness of the people there of the island. It's, it's really um, different to anywhere else you'd be in the UK. Um, so definitely recommend anyone to uh, take that trip. Yeah, my in-laws did the same trip and also rave reviews. They absolutely loved it. So my last question here, as I like to ask everybody, is, is there some advice that you would give to someone just starting out? Obviously, the themes that we've seen here today with your story, your journey is, uh, you know, networking, which is a common theme on this podcast, is very helpful. So always talk to people that you know, and, and you've gotten several jobs through that. And uh, just pulling at different threads and being interested in things, you know, what are some tips that you would give? The biggest tip I'd probably give to someone, you know, looking, and this is, you know, probably in, in pretty much any field, not necessarily just IT, but if you have a passion for, for what it is that your career job is, that really um, helps make, you know, make things a lot easier. So if you are, you know, in IT, for example, uh, just because that's kind of what, what we do, um, you know, I also not only spend a lot of time doing those, doing that work for work, but I also do it in, you know, kind of my time off, my personal, it's kind of my passion, right? So that allows you to just be more involved in it. You are uh, just kind of more connected with it. And, you know, hopefully it's, you know, something that you really enjoy. And most people, you know, talk about jobs that they don't like and, you know, they're kind of boring or whatever. Um, but if you can try to, you know, find that career that you really enjoy outside of work as well, uh, I think that really helps. Um, and it, it kind of shows when you're, you know, applying for a job or if you're, you know, starting out into an industry, if um, if you spend time learning it outside of work, uh, that's really helpful. 
And then, as you said, you know, connecting with people, um, you know, in, in those roles and outside of work, uh, you know, staying in touch with people uh, as you, you know, leave roles and move into different ones. You never know, um, you know, who you're going to run into or, you know, one day you might have something come up, uh, you know, in your new role that, you know, someone in a previous role and they're now, you know, they now they have now have moved on to something else and you're able to now connect, reconnect with them for um, for this new kind of topic. And those types of relationships really uh, benefit everyone, you know, when um, when you can find and keep those going. Fantastic. So always be learning and, and stay curious. Yep. There you go. All right. So uh, everyone continue the conversation by joining the Tab Geek Slack community. There's no sponsors and no assholery allowed. That's at tabgeeks.com forward slash Slack. Also, you can hit me up on Twitter. I'm Mr. J Nolan, N-O-W-L-I-N. And Steve, I believe you're on Twitter as well. I am. Yep. You can find me at Larson161, L-A-R-S-E-N 161. And most social uh, platforms, you'll find me on that with that handle. So, yeah. What's your favorite social platform? Where do you spend the most time? Um, well, oh, I think one thing I forgot to mention, I'm also the moderator of the G Suite subreddit. So that's probably where I spend uh-huh. most of my time is over there on Reddit. Um, yeah. Other than the Mac admin Slack or the better uh, IT Slack, um, Reddit's probably the place that I frequent the most. Yeah, we're going to steal you away from Reddit for uh, for the Tabby Slack community. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you'll find me. Yeah, so cheese sweet and whiskey is what I do on Reddit. Nice. What an excellent combo. Love it. Thank you so much for coming on, Steve. You're welcome. See you next time, folks.